listening to the Darius Daniels Podcast. Well, what's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Darius Daniels Podcast. I hope your week is going amazing, and I hope this podcast makes it a bit better. We've got some conversation for your transformation today. I'm excited about some time I'm spending with my amazing co-host, and we've got something that I think is a bit provocative, and I want you to make sure you lean into it. And I've got an interview, listen to me, with one of my favorite authors in the entire world. I worked so hard to get him as a guest on this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear my interview with Dr. Henry Cloud. We're going to help you with your boundaries. We're going to help you with your relationships. He's going to help you get your life. And as always, I want you to stay tuned to the end of the show for the Ask Dr. Darius section of the podcast. As always, we've got some amazing questions that I think you're going to find helpful and insightful. So buckle up, get ready for this episode of the Darius James Podcast. What's up, everybody? Got my co-host with me, Dakari Chastity. What's up, y'all? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's going on? What's I'm, happening? I'm doing fantastic. How y'all doing? Good. All is well. Yeah. Dakari, you really sound like an AT alien when you say what's happening. Say it again. Would you? How you want me? You want me to talk like I'm on radio? Hello. How you doing, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> what you want me to do? Are you crusty the clown or something? <laughs> What's up? I'm from Atlanta. That's where I'm from. That's my city. It's good. It's cool. He's he's an AT alien. He's indigenous to the ATL. The real Atlanta. Representing. Yeah, y'all doing good though? Yeah. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. I feel like um, you know, I went away a few weeks ago for a little break and I still feel I still feel like I'm still refilled from that. So that's good. And I mean, Eric. Life is good. No real complaints on this end. Life is good. Yeah. God is good. All the time. time. Huh? Listen, you don't hear me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So check this out. I was um, on the internet again, and it's this clip. I'm sure you guys saw it. It went viral. So it's this young couple. They were, they really become influential in the areas of like four millennials in marriage. They're called the Ellis's and... They put out this clip of their podcast that was incredibly controversial. I want to hear what you guys think about it. So let's take a moment. Let's listen to the clip and um, we'll come back and I'll get your thoughts. We all have this ideal of what it's supposed to be like. And I'm going to give you an example. As a man, right, in my 18, from 18 to 22, we had sex routinely, like all the time. Yes. That was it, Mm -hmm. right? Once we moved into together... And we were living together in our own house in Michigan. Sex started to slow down. This was before kids. Mm-hmm. This was before marriage. This was before you was mm-hmm. working. This was before any stresses, period. Right. This was just, you. you yeah, sex just started to slow down. Right. And but also, part, too, 18 to 22 was like college. It was my first time out of my parents' house. Um, right. You know, we were living in this utopia that was college right. life. And also, too, um, 
what was the other thing that I was going to say? So we gra- distance. We had distance. Yes, we had distance. So there was time so, for us to like miss each other and be like, absolutely. oh, I can't wait to see you again. And when we do That's see each other. That's what I was getting to. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So <laughs> once we started to move in together right. and you see the same person every single night. Mm-hmm. The distance that we had when we were in college and we would I was traveling and we were doing different things, that distance allows time for you to kind of reboot your sex yes. drive. Yes. For me, I don't necessarily have to reboot my sex drive. The minute I see you, I want to have sex. So when we were missing each other, it seemed normal that we had sex all the time. But then when we think about it, we really wasn't having sex all the time because we didn't see each other all the time. Right. Then when we moved in together and we see each other every day, every time I want to have sex, I look to you. It became overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So and the reason why I say that is because the conversation starts happens was why do men fear marriage? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> well, 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 well <laughs> what wow. a conversation that was. Yeah. All right. Dakari would come to me first. <laughs> You're always in the hot seat. Man, what are your thoughts? You know, this is interesting. Uh, I know we only played a minute of it, but if people could watch, you know, listen to the whole thing, it's a, it's a lot of meat there. Okay. Um, I think at the the heart of what, uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, was it? Chester? DeVille? DeVille, yeah. Mm-hmm. What he was getting at, and I kind of agree with, guys. Uh, so, there's this idea around relationships, right? I connect with you and I say, hey, I want to marry you. I want to be connected to you. And this sex thing, this thing is real, right? Mm-hmm. I am planning and it is my goal <laughs> right? your, your to be 100% is so faithful, <laughs> right? I just don't want to get this out. Okay. <laughs> very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> we can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, very uncomfortable. You like, sweating? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, I know, right? In front of his hoodie, too. <laughs> you know but it's this idea that I want to give all of myself to you. Mm-hmm. However, if I'm being turned down from mm-hmm. this area that I desire so much, there is still an expectation of me to be faithful. What do I do if I can't get what I want from you? <laughs> well, I, mean, it, I got a lot of thoughts about you know that. I mean? like, I'm going you know like, to reserve my comments like, what, a little what, bit later. You're kind of in an interesting spot in space yeah. here. Like, and it's not not saying that, hey, I'm not going, I'm going to go outside of my marriage. Sure. But I am saying, if I have all of this, well, where do I go from here? Yeah. And I understand what you're saying. You're you're speaking from a cultural worldview, which is where he was speaking from, right? Yeah. He's not speaking from like an exclusively Christian worldview, which you know I, I think we would answer the question differently. But Chester, what, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, um, I understand where she's coming from, and I think it was toward the latter part of their conversation where she said, "Yeah, I was with it. I was here in the beginning of our relationship, but." everything has changed and sometimes I don't feel like it. And I think for uh, it's important because if if you're in a marriage, you want to make sure that you're fulfilling the needs of your spouse. However, um, as a person, as her role, as a mother, and I guess, you know, whatever her title is, she has a lot going on. So it's like inside, I don't feel like doing that. So let's come together to see if we can work together 
and compromise on what this looks like for our relationship because sure. I still have to be a parent and not saying that he doesn't have to be a parent, but the role is just a little bit different when it comes to being a mother. So, um, but my thoughts is like, you know, with whatever works for them. Yeah, I think. That's <laughs> <I, I, laughs> how you end that. Yeah, whatever works for them. Whatever works for them. <laughs> Which I agree. It's a, like, hey, whatever works for them. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a, it's an interesting topic. And so I understand what he's getting at. And I think he's coming again from like a, a cultural worldview, which means, OK, for me, I want you as my spouse to be the only exclusive object of my affection, like physical affection. And if I can't get it from you or if you aren't going to satisfy whatever my whatever he felt like his needs were, his his argument is, OK, like, so what is your realistic expectation of me in terms of what I'm supposed to do? And uh, so I think I get what he's saying from a cultural worldview. I think as a Christian who feels like Christianity isn't just a religion, but the best path to human flourishing, I would say whether you're a Christian or not, it's a bit unrealistic to expect to get every single relational need met the same way in every season. Mm. So if a person's sick, what are you going to do then? Right. right? Cause okay. that happens mm. in relationships, mm-hmm. right? If a person, uh, so when, sick, I mean, physically sick, what are you going to do then? If a person hits, deals with a mental health crisis, like what are you going to do then? I so see. you've got all of these, you've, you got ideally in every relationship, every person, my partner is going to meet all of my needs the same way. Um, well, to the to the level of my satisfaction in every season, I think that's ideal. It's just not realistic. Yeah, it's not realistic. It's not realistic. And I think for any relationship to work, whether you're Christian or not, there has to there has to be a way that you manage your deficits in a way that are not dysfunctional. Mm. Well, so even when you aren't getting what you need, wow. <laughs> You've got to manage that in a responsible way because the idea is uh, the idea is that um, I can't go without this need being met. So if I don't get it met through you, I'm going to get it met through someone else. And um, I'm arguing that um, there has to be a degree of discipline for any relationship to work. So I would say you shouldn't say everything you feel like you want to say in a relationship. So you need discipline with your tongue and um, you can't do anything that you want to do in a relationship. And so I think I I get to a degree where, where he's coming from, but then I also see this, this other side. I want to throw out another question. This just came to me. I just want to throw this out to what y'all think though. I do feel like though, I don't think this case, this <laughs> clip is is the best example. I do think, though, there is a um, sometimes, at least in a Christian space, yo, there's like this demonization of a man's physical needs like that. Yeah. yeah. So if a man's like, yo, I really need this. It's almost like that need is demonized. And a man's like, you animalistic. You just need to figure that out when that is like every reputable relationship uh expert or psychologist psychologist or psychologist that i've at least read says like so for some men like physical intimacy is the equivalent of a woman getting an emotional need met 
I just feel like sometimes that difference is demonized. Like I said, I don't think this case is <laughs> that example. Right. But I do feel like sometimes men are made to feel like, yo, if you want that, that is uh, less important than you know, emotional needs of a woman being met. Not saying that men don't have emotional needs, but I just feel like sometimes that's that's demonized. Yeah, it's it's really weird because there's like um if you have like you said, this desire to need or let's just use let's let's take out want, right? This is a need of mine. Yeah. You know, yeah. How can you help me in this without destroying yeah. you're right? making me feel like this is all you want. I think that's that's the conversation. It, 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 it's, yes. It's like, this is all you want. Yes. Here it is. Here it is. <laughs> Wake up in the morning. No, I just, I need this. I need it. It's not the one. It's like, this helps me. <laughs> <laughs> the car is in distress it's y'all like, like, I'm, Lord, I'm stressed out and I need this <laughs> no <laughs> it's like you remember, remember the movie Little Shop of Horrors like feed me Seymour you know it's like I need this now you yeah know? you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah I do I do get that yeah it's it's it's. I'm not I'm not quite sure um, I had a friend who whose spouse for some health reasons the wife had to start taking testosterone shots Mm. and when she did uh, she was on them her empathy for her husband increased exponentially like I literally heard her talk about like you know when she had those testosterone shots she started asking her husband so is this the way you feel? (laughs) He's like yes this is what I've been been trying to tell you this is what life is like on this side (laughs) over here she's like oh man I didn't get it but you know now I understand it in in a different way man I I think there needs to be more healthy conversation around that and um, like I said I don't line up with kind of everything in the clip but I do appreciate Duvall's willingness yes. to, to be transparent and to be open and that's their marriage it's their worldview, and they're working it out in the words of chastity whatever worked for them whatever you know, works for them and I know this <laughs> that what I really like they both share their truth right it's usually yes. one side and that, in that clip it that was, was great, like she it? was mm-hmm. both you know they yeah. were both like Hey, she was sharing her truth and he was sharing his. I appreciate it. Yeah, I did too. I appreciated watching that um, between, especially like PD says, them being millennials and Mm -hmm. they're married. Um, And so sometimes millennials get like a bad rap for like marriages and things like that. So watching that healthy conversation, them going back and forth, like that was like, that was was like, yeah, that was good. That was nice. Thank you for sharing your transparency with those guys. And I'm sure it provokes a lot of conversations among couples who probably we're having trouble having those conversations but you know it, it all comes down to boundaries yes well, i'm so excited about my next guest yes <laughs> y'all listen this is straight up probably one of my favorite authors it's like between dallas willard and him mm. uh, i think i've i've got every book that i'm aware of that he's ever written and um he is the boundaries expert dr henry cloud my interview with him is coming up next on the Darius Daniels podcast stay tuned Well, everybody, I am excited 
I know that I, I say that every week, but I mean it this week in a unique kind of way. I've got one of my favorite people on the planet on the podcast. It's actually my first time meeting him. I've got every book he's ever written, at least that I know about. And I found out we had the same book agent and I told her, listen, if you never do another thing for me in your life, I need you to get me Dr. Henry Cloud on the Darius Daniels podcast and Shannon. Thank you publicly. She worked a miracle. He's here. And I just found out everybody. He's from Mississippi. I went to college in Jackson. He's from Vicksburg. Welcome to the Darius Daniels podcast, author, consultant, coach, leader, Dr. Henry Cloud. How you doing, sir? Darius, I'm doing well. And it's a privilege to get to talk to you today and find out, you know, I'm finally getting to talk to somebody who's got some sense. because <laughs> Yes, sir. The irony of that. So, so honored to have you on this podcast. And I know one, I know I'm about to be better uh, as a result of some of our time together and our guests are also. So, Dr. Cloud, I want to jump right in here. Kind of our focus this this season of this podcast is just a, a theme of liberation, this idea of breaking bad and want to use strategic conversations as a tool to give the audience the information and informa- information and inspiration that they need to kind of just break free of unhealthy and unhelpful behaviors that are holding them back. And um, I think your work is just spot on in this area. The first book I read of yours introduced me to a concept called boundaries. And for those who just may be unfamiliar with that concept, with that word, could you please explain to us what it means and what it is? Well, you know, it's a good question. So a lot of times people sort of throw it out there and we never really ask, well, we talk about boundaries. What are we really talking about? Well, here's a great definition. It's probably right out of close to something right out of the dictionary that a boundary is basically a property line. Mm. That's all it is. So you think about your house, Mm -hmm. Okay, whether you rent it or own it or your apartment or whatever, there's a property line that defines where your property ends and somebody else's begins. Mm. That's a boundary. In the physical world, you know, these boundaries are pretty easy to figure out. You know, I'm sitting here in my house and there's a property line and I got somebody who lives next door to me called my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And the property line separates us. Mm -hmm. Now, once I know my property line, then I know what's mine and what's not mine. He knows what's his and not his. And so once I know what my property is, then that establishes the the most important concepts of life. First of all, it establishes ownership. Mm. At this, it's mine. It's not yours. It's not his. It's mine. Mm. And yours, it's not mine. So if I got ownership, then I got control. Mm. Once we establish ownership, then we know who controls the property. Mm. So it, it's my house. I can control what goes on here, right? Yes, and I can say no to somebody who wants to step over the fence. What does the Bible call that? Trespassing. And so. If I got control, then I also have responsibility. All right. So now it's easy to see in a physical world because you got tenses and stuff that define this. 
Well, the interpersonal world, the spiritual world is the same way. See, God has created you as a person and you exist. And there is a definition of what's Darius and what isn't him. Mm -hmm. What's you and what's your neighbor, Mm -hmm. right? And you have been granted by God this dominion, you know, you're supposed to develop self-control. See, that's what boundaries define, what you're supposed to be in control of and what you can't be in control of. Now, what happens is people step over the fence. And sometimes they want to get in your head and start controlling you, manipulating you, or even stepping over the fence and dumping trash in your yard, or, or climbing over the fence and abusing you in some way. And you have every right in the world to walk them back to the fence line and say, no, I don't allow heroin use on my property. I don't allow manipulation in my brain. I don't allow, you go to David in Psalm 101, he just has a list of people that are not going to live in his house. Liars, cheaters, judgmental people, narcissists, control freaks, unfaithful, you know, people that pervert good things. He says, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. That's a boundary. And so then we got boundaries, not walls. Mm. And so what do we do? Well, we have an open gate, but we get to choose. If you, you know, Darius wants to come knock on my door, I'm opening the door because I'm, he's only going to bring good things onto my property. I'm going to invite you in because you're going to teach me Lots of stuff that I need to learn from you. You're going to be nice. You're going to be supportive. And so, you know, come on over. But if somebody else shows up that's going to do me harm, what am I going to do? I'm going to lock the door. And so our boundaries basically get us back in control of ourselves. And it's a very powerful biblical concept and psychologically proven by every research project that's ever been done, that somewhere in virtually every psychological problem that we have is some sort of boundary disturbance. That was a a long answer, but that's... Insightful. So insightful. So, Dr. Cloud, you mentioned that when it comes to physical property lines, those are easy to distinguish. But when it comes to personal property lines, those are a bit more difficult. Could you tell us why you think that's the case? I mean, because physically, I know what is my body and what isn't, right? Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of the basic interpersonal one that we can see. Sure. Right. And if you think about the way God designed your body, it's a pretty cool thing about it in terms of boundaries. You know, I can take something toxic. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, infected with a bunch of bacteria and I can pour it on my skin and it just wipes off. My boundary protects me. Mm-hmm. But if I got a cut. And that toxic material gets into that cut, my boundaries aren't secure. What happens? I get infected. Well, that's a great metaphor for our lives. And so what you're getting at is the skin you can see. But how do we how do we show our spiritual boundaries, our psychological, emotional and, you know, the boundaries of our soul and all of that? The the real property, Jesus said, your life doesn't exist in this material stuff. The real property, that's your immaterial self, not your physical self, but your immaterial self. And so 
how do we see that? Well, somebody steps in my head and wants to control me or manipulate me. The first thing, the first boundary we ever learn is our words. Mm. We say no. It's the first boundary a kid learns, mm. the word no, in toddlerhood. So somebody says, or I'm going to use heroin at your house. I say, no, I don't allow that in my house. Mm. Or, you know, when you did that, that hurt me. Please don't do that again. So our first Basic and best way, and Darius, if you look at the scriptures, you'll see a progression of boundaries. And the first one is always our words. Mm-hmm. Matthew 18, the great example, it says, if your brother hurts you in some way, they sin against you, go to them in private and talk to them about it. Yes. That's using your words. And it says, if they listen, See, what, what did we just say? Neighbor, our neighbor came to us the other day, said, your, your trees need cutting, dude. They're, they're falling in our yard. We listened and we said, oh, you're right. My bad. I'll take care of it. Matthew 18 says, use your words. It's fixed. Mm-hmm. Unless it isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you may deal with a certain person in your life that the bacteria and toxicity of who they are is stronger than just listening to words. Words don't stop it. Mm. So your immune system that God has wired into you spiritually, you know, we have an immune system. It starts very simple with our saliva. We're taking in germs all the time. It just kills it. And it goes past that. If it gets past that, our stomach acid kills it. But if if it gets past that, see, your words are the first line of defense. And that ought to solve it. But if you're dealing with a fool, that's what the Bible says, somebody can't take confrontation. Then you go past your words. The second way we see offense is with other people. So it says, don't keep talking to somebody that's not listening. Get a couple of friends and go with you. And two or three of you talk to this person together. So one of the strongest boundaries we have is other people. It's our tribe. Mm. It's our you know, it's our group. See, the devil, the devil can get that lone sheep, do anything he wants to when they get separated from the pack. But you put them in the herd, you don't see the coyotes coming to the herd. They get the one off there by themselves. And so we go confront people, two or three together. And then if that doesn't work, it says get a bigger group. We do an intervention. You can see this in Matthew 18. It's kind of, but our spiritual boundaries, so you got words. You got other people. You have physical distance. The final physical bound or final boundary in Matthew 18. You know, I always hear Christians talk. I bind this in the name of Jesus, and I bind this, and I bind this. Which obviously we're binding and loosing, right? Yes. The term comes out of the context of people setting boundaries on destructive behavior. Matthew 18, 15. You go talk to them. A couple of verses later, two or three, you go talk to them. Binding it, containing it. If that doesn't work, get a bigger group. You better contain, you better bind this addiction in this family system because if you loose it, it will be loosed. See, that's a passage about our boundaries and church and human discipline of setting limits. So if you got an abusive person, you got a control freak, you got an addict, all of that, the Bible doesn't tell you, blessed are the doormats, for they shall inherit the heels. That's not what it says. <laughs> you're to be loving and forbearing and patient and all this stuff, but you're also, you know, you got to kick some butt and take some names. That's right there in the scriptures, and we're commanded to do it. 
along those same lines, would you speak to this, which is, I think is a very, it's a very, very realistic possibility for those that are listening. I say that because I feel like it was kind of my experience. So I think the concept of boundaries, you explain it. So you exp- just explained it so masterfully. You do it that way in the book. But there are people like myself who, when we read that book, understood and comprehended the concept, but we felt like, or at least I did, I was managing my life a completely different way before I got exposed to this and managing relationships in a completely different way when I got exposed to this. And there might be people that are listening that are saying, oh my goodness, I've got to make some adjustments in the way I'm living my life and the way I'm relating to people. So for people who have not done this before, you've coached and counseled thousands of people in this area and with your podcast and your call-in show, you're touching people regularly. So I know you've got the experience and the expertise to speak to this. What would you say to um, those of us? Because I feel like it kind of took me some time to bring my whole world into alignment with this idea of living with boundaries because I had to start what? in the yeah, home. You didn't, do it. you didn't do it instantly? It wasn't <laughs> I'm fixed, I'm cured? No, it was. It, it was. took some time. <laughs> <laughs> years and there's still areas I'm still kind of refining. So would you just kind of oh, yeah. talk through um, just based on your you know experience, what actually implementing this looks like? What can people expect? How do they manage some of the challenges that come with actually implementing boundaries? Because I think that, you know, working through that was so helpful for me and I believe it would, it would help me more and help those of us that are listening also. Oh, man. You have hit the nail on the head here because we have a problem, 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 problem. And we haven't, it's not just, I mean, it's a huge problem in the Christian world. If I'm talking to any, any Bible believing people out there, mm-hmm. um, you have been sold short people. If you live in the Western world by and large, mm-hmm. and here's what I mean by that. You have been taught that knowledge equals growth. You've been taught that that if you know the word, if you get the word in your head, and if you the truth shall set you free, just that statement, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so what do they do? They prescribe from that verse, then the whole answer is knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's not even what the verse says. Quote the whole verse. What it says is, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, if you walk in these ways, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's right. James says, do not be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Yes. Okay. Jesus said, the wise person, the one who built his house on the rock. And what do we hear people say? I'm going to build my house on the rock of Jesus. Well, read the passage. What he says is, this is what the wise person was like. The one who hears my words and puts them into practice. Mm-hmm. All right, so you have asked the key question here. How does behavior change? How do people grow? Yes. Knowledge is so important, Darius. I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying it's incomplete. Yes. And we know that because the Bible itself 
tells us that that's only one piece of it. It says that we've got to know the truth. Go back to Deuteronomy 6, and Moses says, I've given you all of God's ways. And why did he do this? Because he, he, he rescued us. We were slaves in Egypt. He brought us out with works of miracles and, and signs and wonders. And now he's put us into this place and he's given us these ways so that if we follow them, they would be our righteousness. And here's what he says, that you would always prosper, that you would do well if you walk in these ways. So then you keep reading there. And what does he say? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put them on the doorpost. I want you to write them on your forehead, put them on your breastplate, walk with your kids with them, talk about this stuff all the time. Now, if Moses were not a neuroscientist, then they should give him a degree. It's almost like the person who wrote the Bible understands the brain, because here's how you change behavior. First, there needs to be awareness. That's the principle. Mm -hmm. The next thing, though, is there's got to be focused, what neurologists call focused, or, or, or um, neuroscientists call focused attention on that principle. Mm -hmm. So I got to read about it on Sunday. Well, now I've got to probably on Tuesday night be in my small group or have something going on during the day. I just read about setting boundaries on an abusive person or a manipulative person. Well, now I got to get in my small group talking about this relationship I'm having with somebody that's manipulating me. Somebody's going to focus my attention in real time mm -hmm. and say, you know, that's what you learned about on Sunday. Mm -hmm. You're not setting good boundaries here. You're not confronting evil behavior. Oh, you're right. And see, that brings the concept into real life. Number two, focused attention. The third piece deliberate practice of the new thing. Good. So now I'm going to go to my group and it's going to say, well, you, you know, you let them get away with this. I want you to pick up the phone and call them and say, you know what? I can't go out with you until you get sober. Okay. Now deliberately practicing. So we're hearing his words. We're putting them into practice. We're walking in his ways. And throughout that, there's a thread of relationship with God's people and him that will strengthen, empower, correct, model, give us imitation, give us examples, pick us up when we fall and break and strengthen our broken hearts. When we, we you know, your football player breaks their ankle, they don't keep them on the field. They pull them out. They, all those things that the body of Christ does to heal itself, as Ephesians 4 says, that's how people change. But in the evangelical world, for a lot of time, we got a lot of people thinking this all thing is this whole thing is about knowledge versus knowledge plus relationship plus experience plus you know putting this stuff into practice. And a lot of people are staying immature, and that's what the Pharisees did. Mm -hmm. They knew the Bible; they were miserably, miserably undeveloped spiritually. Could you talk specifically about <laughs> what this looks like in two spaces? One, I, I want to talk about what it looks like in life and specifically family. Um, and that's and I'm bringing that up because as a pastor, right, when it comes to relational challenges and issues that may or may not that may, excuse me, be a result of boundary setting. A lot of that that I hear that comes up in our orbit, in our you know church world it deals with the family issue. Not that people are perfect when it comes to setting boundaries outside the family, but it's it's a lot more com 
a lot more complex when it comes to implementation within the family. And then we'll pivot to something with leadership. And this is what I hear. I've heard a lot in my pastoral experience when it comes to parenting. It's not so much boundary setting when children were smaller, right? But as they get into the early adulthood, like teen to early adulthood area is like if a parent is asking for prayer about a child and there's not like a physical sickness or something, nine times out of 10, they're in that age range and it's some behavioral issue that they're dealing with and uh, they're trying to figure out how to set boundaries. Okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna parse uh, a little bit of the narrative there because uh, you, you're exactly right in the, what they'll tell you. Wow. Yes, it's not so much when they were little, right? Now they're teenagers. Mm-hmm. When I hear that, uh, my question mark goes up in my head. <laughs> Because what they're probably saying to you was, when they were little, I had control of them. Mm -hmm. And now they've got more mobility and bigger bodies and brains and capacities that I I can't control them anymore. Mm -hmm. That's what they're usually saying. And that is one of the biggest faults in parenting and the way that a lot of parenting has been taught even in the christian world Mm -hmm. let me tell you something folks i'm going to talk to you before the teenager thing for a second with your little kids you're the last thing you want in the world is to be in control of your kids Mm -hmm. you want your kids in control of themselves the fruit of the spirit is (laughs) self-control wow because you got control of them. Yeah, well, then you leave the room. Then what the hell happens? Right. Or they're in the backseat of a car or they're off. So, no, you want your kids having control of themselves. Great. And what parents do a lot of times. And, oh, there's, don't get me started on this, man. <laughs> I'm just, my hair's going to catch on fire. <laughs> if I were president, you know what I would tweet? What was that? Here's what I would say. I'm making an I'm making an executive order. The phrase "you need" is never allowed to come out of a parent's mouth in America ever again. Wow! Because here's what you see. Mm-hmm. Here's what you see. You got a kid. They're lying on the couch. They're playing video games. She's already told him to go do his homework. He's got to be finished with his homework before dinner time, or he's supposed to clean up the backyard or something. Mm-hmm. So she's already said, "Here's what I want you to do." So she disappears. Ten minutes later, she comes out. He's still there on the video, guys. What does she say? Son, you need to get off that couch, and you need to go do your homework, and you need to get out there and finish your chores before dinner. You need to do this right now. Mm -hmm. Comes back ten minutes later. Did you? I told you. Didn't I tell you? Right now, you need to. You need. You need. You need. And let me tell you something. That is a lie. Mm -hmm. That kid doesn't need to do their homework. They don't need to go out there and clean up the backyard. They feel no need to do that whatsoever. All they need is to get this crazy person out of their face. (laughs) And they can do that just like their father does. Just ignore her, right? (laughs) Or whoever. Now take mother number two. See, she's trying to get him to do this. I want that kid to be in control of himself. 
So what I'm going to do is come in, want her to do is come in and say, hey, Joey, you know what? I'd like to interrupt your game there for a second. Um, so we got tickets to the game tomorrow and we're going to go as a family, me and you and 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 dad and your sister and um we're going we're gonna to take off about 10. It's going to be a great day. All your favorite players are going to be playing. So here's the way this works. So everybody's got a lot of or a few chores to do today. You, you know, you, you got to finish that module in your homework and you got to, you know, cl clean up the backyard. I got to go get the grocery shopping done. Your dad's got this project and your sister's got hers. So we're going to have a family meeting at six o'clock and kind of find out, has everybody finished what you need to do? Because the ones that have finished what they need to do are going to go to the game tomorrow. So we're going to have a meeting at six and check and everybody's done their chores. Then they get to go. If you choose not to do that, you remember Mabel, the babysitter from hell? Well, <laughs> I actually heard, heard a guy named Jim, Jim Pate said, said that one. Well, I, I called her and, and Mabel's available tomorrow. So we're going to go to the game, whoever gets it done. But if you choose to not do your chores, then Mabel's available and she'll come over and spend the day with you. So I got to go. I'm pulling for you. Hope you get to go. We're going to go anyway, if you can't or not, but I'm pulling for you. And she goes off. Now, right at that moment, this kid on this couch has something occur that has never happened before in his life. He has a thought. <laughs> and you know what that thought is? All of a sudden, he goes, crap, I need to go get my homework done. Mm -hmm. I need to see she's transferred the need for the control of the behavior to the only one who can do anything about it. And that's the child because mm -hmm. God made us free. So now he feels the need. So my point is, if they had done that all along the way, typically you get teenagers that, you know, you're working out some dynamics and where's the freedom and where's not. But it's rare that you get this crazy chaos when a kid has a lot of self-regulation and self-control. Mm -hmm. And what God did was he gave us his ways and then he told us to internalize those and to train our kids and teach them so we don't always have to be there. God's, God's main program is delegation. Mm -hmm. Did to the whole planet, set us free and delegated and said, build maturity so you can do this thing well. And that's how we have to approach parenting. That is incredible. Every parent in every stage. Listen, <laughs> these these gems are jewels and priceless. And Dr. Cloud, I want to thank you so much. I honor your time. I just got two more questions. I've got to get out here. I, I want to pivot a little bit from life. To boundary application and leadership. Now, listen, in your book, Boundaries for Leaders, you make the statement that leaders are ridiculously in charge. Yeah. Now, when I saw that, <laughs> it provoked all sorts of emotions in me, some of which was like just this immediate connection and agreement with it. Then other other thoughts came to my mind about so much that I've heard taught specifically like in church leadership spaces about ways to approach leadership and yeah. and seeing how that statement resonated with the idea and the concept of servant leadership or shared leadership. So could you just please <laughs> talk to us and unpack that statement 
and how you believe, not exclusively, but specifically for those of us who are leading in, you know, Christian spaces, how this does not in any way conflict with, um, I feel like I'm leading you, but conflict with the leadership style of Jesus. Whether it is a person or a committee that is leading this, Mm -hmm. in other words, they have been given stewardship over this, Mm -hmm. whether it's a person or a committee, it doesn't change the concept of whoever is the steward is ridiculously in charge. It's up to them and whatever they're finding, because the second half of that whole part of the book was what that means is whatever you're finding in whatever you're in charge of, whether it's a person or a committee, whatever you're finding there, you're either creating that mess or you're allowing it to happen on your watch. Wow. You are 100% empowered. If you've been given that role, whether you're a person or a committee, you're a 100% empowered to clean it up mm. or to stop causing chaos because it's your house, right? Wow. So what that really was after was to empower leadership to get in charge of the, of the stewardship that God has given to you and to stop playing victim. And a lot of leaders will kind of play victim to excusing, you know, this, that, and the other. No, look. You're in charge, and God's going to come to you and hold you accountable for what He gave you stewardship over. So it's trying, it's an empowering statement. Now, let's get to the other apparent conflict there about, about authority and servanthood. Mm-hmm. Right? Is a Navy SEAL a servant? 1000%. Okay, what's his role? And my brother-in-law was a Navy SEAL. We lost him in Iraq in 08. Mm. But I I spent a lot of time with these guys, and he would tell me about them going in and rescuing little girls. He's playing rescuer. And other times, they might have to shoot somebody. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it really looks like a servant function in that it's is caring and giving and all of that. But sometimes it is a use of force, but this, whatever the role is, it's in the service of something that transcends them and their own interests. So, so whether, you know, whether a CEO has to make a really difficult decision that is executing the power of that office. That is a servant leader. If they're serving the transcendent mission of what's good for the employees and the stakeholders and all of that. So servants don't always look like nurses. Uh. So sometimes a servant is the surgeon that's yelling at everybody get those paddles over here now. And they're given commands, Mm -hmm. but it's not for them and and their own ego and their own purposes. So we talk about servanthood as Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. It's either going to be me or, or God. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's part of it. Then you've hit on another part of it, which is really important. And it goes back to the delegation I talked about earlier. You know, 
I'm going to serve my teenage daughters. Mm-hmm. I have authority over them. Mm-hmm. Right? Granted by God. How am I going to serve them with that authority? So I'm up here and they're down here. I'm going to kenosis. Mm-hmm. That's the biblical passage where it says that Jesus gave up this whole everything goes with equality with God. Mm-hmm. I could wipe you out in a second. Right. And what he did was he came down to our level. He identified with us so he could impart authority to us and strength to us and power to us so that as I'm serving my daughters to train them and build them and give them more authority, what happens? They grow and they become the strongest that they could be. But I'm using my authority to give them the highest authority and those whom he called and foreknew, he glorified. All authority has been given to me by the Father, and now I pass that on to you. See, the authority does not dominate to rule. The authority uses their power to empower. Wow. Well, this has been so helpful for me, so enriching. Thank you so much for your contribution. I'd like to leave, uh, get ready to leave out on this one final question, and that is, we are living in the midst of obviously a global pandemic. There's a lot of uncertainty there. There is an election as this, when this podcast airs, we will have elected, reelected the same president or elected a new president. And a large part of the country is going to be disappointed no matter which way the election goes. You've got just social divisiveness and racial tension and we're being bombarded with all of this imagery and information from whether it's television or devices and things of that particular nature. What tip would you give those that are listening um, to just manage all of this negativity in a way that it doesn't become so destructive for our souls? So the first thing I've got to do is I got to ask Who's in charge here? Sure. And when I realize God is in charge, and as the psalmist says, nations are in uproar. The people are turning it, all of this. If the mountains are falling into the sea, God is still on his throne. And when I recognize that, then something shifts in me. And one of the most powerful things that shifts in a human and a leader's ability to go through any crisis is which narrative they're looking at the crisis through, which lens. These successful leaders have a long-term narrative. We go through a recession, the successful ones don't jump off buildings because their portfolio went down. They have a long-term view, and they know things go up and down and all of this. When 9-11 hit, I had to go back to New York, and my first first thing they asked me to do was speak to 130 ambassadors at the UN from the United Nations, the, the from the Islamic bloc of countries, and give them a Christian response to what's going on right now, this week. And that, that was like the week of five days, six days after. And, and they said, does this, does this cause you to question your faith? And I said, honestly, and I'm telling you the truth here, 
This validates my faith because my faith predicts this. It says that kingdoms will rise against kingdoms and there are wars and rumors of wars and all of this kind of stuff. See, Jesus did not sell us an infomercial 1-800-TAKE-THIS-PILL and you're going to have incredible joy and or he did say that but incredible victory and prosperity and all this all the time he sold us he sold us a gospel that says Mm -hmm. you might be shot you might have your family ripped apart you might be martyred we're going to be wars and it's going to get worse and worse so i say all that to say this yeah Let's start with surrendering to the one who does have a plan. He does have control. And in that, no matter what it looks like, he's also promised to you that he will be there and going through it with you. So I just want everybody to start there. I had, I had, I was doing a lot of pastor conferences, you know, in leadership in the beginning of COVID. And they're saying, you know, kind of like all the anxiety, this and that, which I understood. But but one day I said, guys, listen to me, pastors, Christians, you've been standing up on that stage with your skinny jeans and fog machines, right? For a decade, you've been selling people this story. And what is the story you've been selling people? That you're going to be in Egypt in plagues and prisoners, and then you're going to be scattered around, and then you're going to have to, you know, hide in caves because Saul is chasing you, and then you're going to get swallowed by a whale and all of this stuff. And all along, all of that, God is with you, and He will bring you out of this, and He will be victorious. Now you get to live the story for a minute that you've been selling people. Why are you crying? This is your day. Come on. This is the story we've been selling. Netflix movie, take the long view. This is one frame when you hit pause. Now you get to write the script of your character in that scene called this pandemic and called whatever we're in is this place. How am I going? How does my character going to show up in this frame? And that's back to our first point. Well, if I said that I'm following Jesus, then he said, I'm going to show up in the pandemic in the chaos that's going on in the divide of the country, his kingdom operates in a different way than our kingdom. His kingdom, and what we need to live out, is the law of love, peace, mm-hmm. righteousness, justice, mercy. And if every situation we come across, if we're trying to have his kingdom come to that conversation, to that meeting, to that family division. And we're trying to transcend the divide and the divisiveness to standing up here where he reconciles people. And we do that through listening. We do that through understanding, you know, the racial, the, you know, what we, what started back in the, you know, early part of this when all the stuff happened, I can't tell you. And, and, and Darius, I wish I had, had known you there. I, at that time, I would have, you know, just loved to talk. I learned so much just from sitting down with black leaders 
and just listening to their stories that I didn't know. I mean, I had black leaders in high positions Mm -hmm. that I would have thought, well, this racism thing never touches you. I mean, you're like, you know, you lead all this power and position and this and the other. And they would tell me stories from their elite mm-hmm. positions of power and wealth and government and rulership and all of this. And I, I literally would cry that they, I didn't know what I didn't know about why somebody feels the way they feel. Mm. And see, that's what Jesus did in his kingdom. He doesn't just try to instruct us upward. He comes down and we meet each other and we listen. And then as we listen, as God says, we come reason together. And so that's part of it that I would want everybody to start with. Remembering who's on the throne, calm down. He's, this isn't surprising God. But then wherever he's put you, whether it's in a family or a company or a church or a city or in a role, your job is to transcend the division and bring about reconciliation between parties as best you can. Everybody's got to do the right thing. So if we all decide we're going to do the right thing and love each other, we can reconcile. Absolutely. A mouthful, well said, a wellspring of wisdom. Dr. Cloud, thank you so much for your time with us. You mentioned a site where we could connect with you and get courses and guidance and insight. Could you just repeat that for people who I know are going to want to know more and learn more? Could you could you give us some direction there? Yeah, just go to the website boundaries.me. It's a website and it's sort of like Netflix for Henry. I mean, I kind of did take <laughs> all of these topics. There's 80 something courses on there from dealing with parenting issues to marriage to depression to anxiety to reaching goals. And I filmed 80 different courses on there and you get access to the whole portal and by just going and signing up, becoming a subscriber, and then I'll give you a free trial for a couple of weeks, and then you pay about the price of an expensive cup of coffee. <laughs> and you have access to all this stuff. So go, go, go to Boundaries.me. Well, will do. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your contribution to this podcast. And I want to personally thank you, sir, seriously, for your contribution, one, to my own life, my own emotional health, two, to my marriage, three, to my family, and then four to my church. Thank you so much. Take care. All righty. Today's show is brought to you by United Healthshare Ministries. These days, finding affordable, quality health care is more difficult than ever. So if you're looking to save up to 50% on your health care expenses, listen up. You don't have to wait around hoping healthcare will improve in the U.S. Instead, join millions of Christians who are choosing healthshare memberships like UHSM. UHSM is a nonprofit Christian healthshare with a sole purpose of helping you achieve your best health. So protect your health with modern health sharing from UHSM, including program benefits from CVS Caremark, no-cost telehealth visits, and access to one million doctors and providers. Satisfy your medical needs and save up to 50% with UHSM.
UHSM is member-to-member health sharing, and it's awesome. See why millions are choosing this Christian alternative to traditional insurance and ask if you qualify for UHSM membership today. So you can call or text 833-367-8476. That's 833-367-8476 or 833-367-UHSM. Or you can visit UHSM.com slash care. That's UHSM.com slash care. you have it everybody the one and only dr henry cloud guys was that not amazing always he's always good. yeah I, I like him and i like his book um boundaries yes i started reading it but i haven't finished it so yeah he's uh he's he's dope those first pages of boundaries like slap you right in the face yeah. like it doesn't take you yeah. long to it's be like definitely okay. a slap yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. okay you just punch me in the chest yeah. thank you yeah incredible incredible well listen it is time for the ask dr darius segment of the show and uh listen this segment is possible because you send in your questions we want this to be an interactive show and hearing from you is so important and we've got a few questions that my co-hosts have selected i'm going to toss it to dakari he's going to ask the first one i'm going to do my best to answer it dakari let's go all right this question is from jason jason asked this question can you remarry even if your first spouse is still alive some people say you you can some people say you can't is it right or wrong according to god okay tell me his name again jason jason the first thing i'm going to say i'm not being evasive is i think you should ask your pastor because different people are going to land different places and spaces with this so there are kind of two streams of thought one stream of thought is um when it comes to divorce and remarriage um that the only condition upon which that is acceptable is if there's been a breach in the covenant physically. So like a sexual breach or if there's been death, then there's other streams of thought that would suggest that you've got areas like abandonment, which some would argue Paul addresses in um, the book of first Corinthians and issues of abuse that are also conditions upon which the covenant in God's eyes at least has been broken and a person would be free to remarry. So there are a number of different streams of thought there. And I really think that that is a question that has to be answered by the person who is the theologic, the residential theologian of the church you're a part of. And that's what every pastor has to be. I know we live in an era era where all of the emphasis is kind of on like pastoral leadership, lead, 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 lead. And that's, I think that's fine if we're just leading organizations and corporations, but a pastor is a spiritual leader. There should be some kind of theological grounding that they're, that they're operating in. That's part of their responsibility. And that person is going to be able to, to articulate to you um, what their perspective is and what stream of thought they're going to float in. So this, so I just kind of gave you the two streams of thought. I just like to kind of throw out, Hey, this is what's out there. Uh, you find out where you land or get guidance from your pastor on what is going to be the best 
approach for you to take in your specific circumstance. Now, this is what the answer just did, Dakari. It just made some people upset because they feel like I went too far. Then it just made other people upset because they feel like I didn't go far enough. So, so for some people, I was too hard. And for other people, I went hard enough. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I just want to let you know I'm fine with that. All right, I'll toss it over to you, Chastity. We have okay. another one. All right, so we are keeping it the theme of relationships. So Josephine from London wants to know, is it ever okay to date multiple people in order to see what type of person you're attracted to and to spend the rest of your life with? Josephine, listen, my answer is probably going to be different than you may be accustomed to hearing from a spiritual leader. I get this a lot. I've gotten this question a lot in our church. And um, so here's my take on this. I think uh, dating is about gathering data. I think it's incredibly important for you to gather data. I feel like there are some conclusions that you only come to about people when you spend time with them. So I also think there are stages in dating relationships and a relationship gets to a stage where there's exclusivity. If you are not at that stage, if you're not giving the impression that you're at that stage, if you're not being dishonest, I think it is okay for a person to say, hey, I'm going on dates with multiple people. Now, for me, I want to reemphasize dating is about data. <laughs> it's about gathering data. It means I went and got coffee with someone or I went to lunch with someone, et cetera. Now, some people are going to say you should only date one person at a time. And I think that's fine also. But if you are not at a place where there's exclusivity, if you might be in infancy stages of some of these relationships and you're like, hey, there are two people that I just met and um, I don't really know which one I like the most. And I'm not being dishonest with anybody. I'm not violating any biblical standards in terms of the way I'm relating and engaging with them. Then I, I think it's um, I think it's fine. Now, um, different people are going to have different approaches on that, but. You ask me, and that's kind of my two cent. So um, I'm going to ask, I'm going to throw this back at y'all. I want to get y'all involved in this one. So let's say someone believes, okay, I shouldn't date multiple people at the same time, even though I'm not exclusive with anybody. I shouldn't date multiple people at the same time. I'm, I'm just going to date one person. What's the appropriate amount of time if it's not an exclusive relationship? So if you don't, quote unquote, go together. What's the appropriate amount of time for you to wait? Mm. How long do you have to wait? Is it like a two week rule or or one month rule? Or is it a time frame that you put on it? Like, yeah, that, I think that's I don't know if, if there there is a rule. Yeah. I don't think there is a rule. I think it's just based on whomever the people are, um, because I know for me, even just touching on this subject. I struggled with dating like in my early 20s or whatever, because I wasn't aware that you can date multiple people at one time. 
I'm like, because you know, also like men like will get. I don't like the way we say in the word dating, though. It's not like dating, like it's, go it's together. Right, it's right? not go together. But also, you have to think about like what the perspective of what people think about dating. Number one, and then number two, when it comes to women getting to know different men, sometimes women get a bad rap for that. But men get like a pat on the back, like yeah, I'm getting to know this girl. I'm getting to know this girl or a woman. But like when it comes to a to a woman, like nah. Maybe like, we should say dating. Maybe we should say talking to. Okay. Yeah. yeah Maybe talking we should to. use that. Kicking it yeah, with. That's, yeah, 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 kicking yeah. it with. That's yeah. culture language so, right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm recanting my answer. So maybe you shouldn't date. Yeah, <laughs> date yeah. multiple. Maybe you should talk to. Uh, I just feel like as long as you're honest, as long as you're not violating biblical standards, then, you know, I don't know. Coincidentally, it might be two friendships that you have and you're exploring and discerning whether or not one's going to take a turn. And, um... I just don't see anything unethical about that. I don't know. I don't either. Yeah. That's my two cents. Thank All you, right. Josephine, for your question. Great question. We got <laughs> one more. Yeah. Lena. Lena asked a question. She says, I've been dating this guy for about four years now, and I think it's time for us to get married. Do you think he wrestles with knowing if I'm the one? That could be the case, Lena. That's not always the case when it comes to a male hesitancy with a marriage. Um, and, I want to say this, and I'm saying this based off of my experience that I've had with men as a spiritual leader. Like, so it's been pretty substantial. There's an aversion that men have to the institution of marriage that has very little to do at times with the person. Marriage is not just presented as something or portrayed as something (laughs) that's just been attractive to men. And it's not that men are running from commitment all the time. It's when you see the portrayal of marriage, like on television, it's not something that's that looks like it's life giving. And many people's uh, what many people are exposed to in terms of the physical examples of marriages around them. It's not just something that's really inspiring. So I feel like as a result of that, sometimes men just have an aversion to marriage because the assumption is it's going to cause a relationship to take a turn for the worse. Um, there's a saying, I don't think it's all the way true, but there's this old axiom that a woman may marry a man knowing he can change. A man will marry a woman hoping she doesn't. Hmm. And, <laughs> and I think that at times has a lot to do with, uh, with a man's aversion to marriage. So I can't speak specifically, obviously to your situation, he may still be discerning that. Um, but that hesitancy is not always personal. And as a woman, I think you have a right to decide how long you're going to wait. Like, that's your right. That's your prerogative. But it is not always personal. Sometimes it's just they got an aversion to marriage in and of itself. And uh, kind of based on what some of them have seen, not that I excuse it. Uh, I do understand it, though. So I want to thank you for your questions. Thank everybody for their questions. We kind of had a relationship theme going on today, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, it was great. And listen, we want to hear from more of you. Send your questions to us. Podcast at DariusDaniels.com. That's the email address. And we're going to do our best to get to as many of them as we possibly can. Also, just want to thank you for tuning in to the Darius Daniels podcast. We want to reach as many people as possible. And in order for us to do that, we need you to download. We need you to subscribe. We need you to share. 
And we're going to do our best to keep bringing you conversations for your transformation. Thank you. And we'll see you soon. Take care. to the Darius Daniels Podcast, part of the Relevant Podcast Network. For more great content from Dr. Darius, including his books, sermons, and more, check out DariusDaniels.com. Also, be sure to follow him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And for more podcasts at the intersection of faith and culture, check out the Relevant Podcast Network, featuring shows like The Relevant Podcast, Unedited, and more launching throughout the year. Find out more by clicking podcasts at relevantmagazine.com. Relevant Podcast Network.